Welcome to episode 10 of the So What series. This is Brendan Flanagan. This series is designed to launch our website at brendanflanagan.com. And in it, we ask the penetrating biblical questions normally withheld from polite company. Today we're asking, what is preaching? We've all had the experience. Someone is trying to tell you something important, or at least important to them. Meanwhile, you're creeping to the door. You escaped, and then you recall... I just felt like they wouldn't stop preaching at me. As humans, we do not like to be preached at, or really for that matter, to be preached nearby. We do not like to be told what to do or how to do it. We can figure it out on our own, thank you very much. But the Bible mandates preaching. Jesus himself modeled it, and throughout the history of God's people, he has delivered his message through the voice of the prophets. So how can we reconcile our dislike for preaching with God's call to preach. Shall we swallow the vinegar with the honey, or shall we retire preaching and agree to have more conversations? We must begin this episode with an understanding. Not all preaching is good. God-honoring preaching. Some is horrendous, hateful, and embittered. Other preaching is passive, disorganized, and subjective. Our focus is not what's wrong with preaching, but instead, what is God-honoring, biblical-mandated preaching look like? First, let's look at the biblical mandate to preach. The last chapter of Mark records a direct command of Jesus. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 reads this, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is straightforward enough. The last chapter of Matthew presents a more nuanced view of the disciples' ministry. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20 reads this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is perhaps a fuller picture of the preaching ministry. The disciples are called to have a focus, not just to make converts, but to raise up and edify disciples. They are called not only to plant the seeds, but also to harvest the crop. And the primary means to ensure the fruit of the Spirit in the heart of the believer is teaching and preaching. And this is important. Preaching without teaching is like talking without words. The two always go together. But teaching is only a component of preaching and is not inherently connected to its nature. Martin Lloyd-Jones compares teaching to preaching by saying that a lecture could be given at any time but a sermon must be delivered now. Preaching has inherent implications for the listener at the moment it's delivered. Preaching has a sense of urgency. Again, using the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on preachers and preaching, he writes this, What is preaching? Logic on fire. Preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. A true understanding and experience of the truth must lead to this. I say again that a man who can speak about these things dispassionately has no right whatsoever to be in a pulpit and should never be allowed to enter one. Strong words, but they're also found in the Bible. And we can see this in prophet Jeremiah. If we go to Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9, we read this. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, Jeremiah has been persecuted for preaching 
the Word of God, and he wants to be rid of this ministry. But here's the problem. Then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. A preacher cannot be silent. His bones will catch on fire. He cannot hold the message of God within him. And that's why God has placed it specifically within this person, through the power of his Holy Spirit. So it can be delivered. It must be delivered to the nation. Not tomorrow, but now. So preaching possesses many qualities of teaching. Yet the former exceeds the latter in passion, urgency, and conviction, while never sacrificing content or clarity. The Greek word for preaching literally translates to herald, proclaim, or announce. And has two components. The first focuses rather obviously on the public delivery, the oration, and the second on the conviction of the listener. And we're going to say this in a slightly different way because I don't want to lose this point. We have to emphasize this point. The duty of the preacher is twofold. To clearly and passionately present the truth, coupled with the intent to convict his hearers. But we mustn't confuse the role of conviction with the art of persuasion. The preacher is not called to be a snake oil salesman. True persuasion and spiritual conviction belong solely to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So we can remove the overly emotional and hyper-spiritual altar calls from the category of preaching and give credit to where credit's due. Conviction, true conviction, begins solely at the confluence of the listener's heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, the preacher convicts the listener with the objective facts of God's Word. This is important. The preacher is standing as the attorney of God, the herald of God's Word, a heavenly representative with a divine decree, and in public proclamation he edifies and proves God's case against the sin of humanity. He shows God's purity against man's impurity. This is the role of the preacher, to assert the unchangeable and perfect and legally binding righteousness of God. The Spirit serves as a preacher's great helper, for despite his skill or eloquence, God always assures his word never returns void without achieving its intended purpose. We see that in Isaiah 55, 11. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I send it. God's word delivered from the mouth of the preacher always returns successful. It always conquers in the name of God. So how should an impassioned, Holy Spirit-empowered preacher present the word of God? He should strive to explain the scriptures in their entirety, clearly explain to his listeners the meaning of the text. Such a technique is called expositional preaching or explanatory preaching. But what is biblical exposition? What does it mean to take the text and explain it to the listener? Essentially, biblical exposition is this. It's cutting it straight with the scriptures. The Bible is God's message to mankind, so we cannot read into the text to form our own conclusions. Instead, we may only understand the scriptures by discovering the intent of the original authors. We must ask, what did they desire to say, not, what do I think it means? This technique is a full explanation of the scriptures and utilizes a scriptural, historical, grammatical, and linguistical approach to the text. 
This assures the interpretation and the outcome of that interpretation remains congruent with God's original intent. And now we'll conclude with four scriptural basises for why we should read the scripture and seek expositional preaching with a straightforward, cutting it straight technique. It's hard not to begin in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Without biblical preaching, without faithful exposition of the text, without public oration and conviction, no one will hear the good news and no one will believe. Paul lays in Romans, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The second point. Exposition is the very nature of Jesus Christ. We read about this in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. We know Christ, because of his divine perspective, is able to see, exist in a unique and intimate relationship with God. And for that reason, he is able to explain him. And the word here in Greek for explain is where we get our word in English for exegesis. Exegesis is a full, complete, thorough explanation. The prophets spoke in part and parcel, in shadow and and light, about who God was. Christ reveals the full picture of who God is. And that's really what we're looking for in expositional preaching. We're looking for the person of God to be fully explained through the person of Jesus Christ. This isn't achieved through an allegorical interpretation or a mystic sense of what the Scripture says. When we open up the text for expositional preaching, we use the point of the text for the point of the sermon, the point of the message. We don't deviate from the text to come to our own conclusions. We look for the verse, we read the verse, and then we explain the meaning of the verse to the people. And since the Bible is timeless, since the Bible is enduring, Since the Bible is the very Word of God, the application, the relevance, extends to all people for all times. The third point is this. Jesus Christ and his apostles relied on biblical exposition. Christ used the scriptures to reveal his person and fully explain God. We read about this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, which reads this. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Them is referring to two disciples which left Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were traveling to Emmaus, and Christ met them on the road in his ascended body and used the scriptures to explain his case, to prove the fact that he had to die and rise again. And they only saw him as a man. They didn't understand that this was Jesus Christ ascended. Only Christ's exposition of the scriptures opened the eyes of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We see this again in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, which reads, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. A mind that's not open to understand the scriptures by the scriptures through the Holy Spirit of God can never come into a direct relationship with God because a relationship is dependent on comprehension and understanding. But this just wasn't Jesus that relied upon the scriptures. This was everyone. This was the model of ministry. The Apostle Paul followed the same technique 
declaring in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole person of God. Paul, nor any of the disciples or apostles, taught with partiality. They didn't take pieces and parts from the Scriptures. No, they showed how all of the Scriptures ultimately point and lead to Jesus Christ. This is biblical exposition. We're taking the point of the text. We're showing the point. And then we're ultimately seeing how Jesus Christ fits into this picture. For he is the culmination of all of God's purpose and plan. Biblical exposition depends on explaining the entirety of the Scriptures, the very Word of God, and not relying upon the opinions of men. And that's point four. And the most practical point. Biblical exposition saves everyone from useless and at times dangerous spiritual mumbo-jumbo. You're not expected to build your house from the contractor's opinions, nor should you build your faith on the ideas of men. Instead, we must all seek to acquire the essential building blocks necessary to understand the Bible, to understand God's Word. Then, when we have the tools necessary to comprehend the Scriptures, we can let the Bible speak for itself and allow it to build our faith in God. Thanks for listening to episode 10 of the So What series. I hope you enjoyed it. You can listen to this podcast and others like it at brendanflanagan.com. Until next time, may you take courage in Christ.